Dusan! And welcome to Shift F1, a podcast about speedy race cars. That, by the way, is French for <laughs> 200 in honor of our 200th episode. Oh my uh, God. That's right. Dusan. Our 100th was in the middle of COVID, so I feel like we didn't really acknowledge it because we were kind of scrambling to go like, what What happened? What do we do now? It doesn't uh, matter as much. Nothing matters as much. <laughs> right. Uh, so I wanted to acknowledge it this time, both to pat ourselves on the back, uh, but also to thank everyone who has been with us and everyone who joins us anew. Uh, and by the way, I chose French because Belgium is apparently just a mess with languages. You're Flemish, you're, you're, Flemish, you're German, you're... It's a yeah. It's a it's a melting pot. They, yes. they don't like to speak the other language if you're in the wrong place. Well, apparently, Spa uh, it, it seems to sit within a French zone, from what mm. I could tell on Wikipedia. Uh, so, hopefully, I'm not offending anyone. I'm Drew Scanlon. Joining me, Danny O'Dwyer. How are you, Danny? Good. I was in Europe just recently. It was very oh. uh, it was very hot. It was surprising. It was like I was back in California, except they hadn't invented air conditioning yet. So uh, uh, it was uh, also kind of annoying to be back in Europe when there are no F1 races on, because um, that's kind of the <laughs> whole the point. Uh, but I did watch some Premier League games uh, during lunchtime. How's that um, Man U doing? How about them? Not how about them Man U boys? <laughs> Not great. I was watching, I watched a Man United game with my brother, who is a Man United fan. I'm not. I'm an Arsenal fan. I'm the only non-Man United fan in my household um, growing up. And uh, yeah, we, I was watching the the 4-0 drubbing they got in their second game um, uh, with my brother. So uh, that sucked for him. Not to not derail this, but I'm curious, how like how did this team get so bad? Aren't they like, aren't, aren't they the Institutional rush. It, you know, you know, you know, like any any sporting team, this can happen in F one. It most certainly has. You have a dynasty. You have a big, you know, a team that has always done well. And over the course of a couple of years, the wrong people, you know, the right people who got them the success, sort of drift away. They retire and they fill those seats with people who didn't put the work in to get them where they mm. are. And over the course of a long enough period of time, suddenly you're left with just a bunch of dum-dums who don't know how to do anything like sign the right players or bring in the right managers or do whatever and uh, they also have like owners that suck but uh yeah it's it's, it's, it's been terrific been... watching people like it, it seems like there's a lot of people who are out on the ledge about this team but boy the schadenfreude is also off oh it's wild charts. yeah especially just because united fans were in the 90s were just completely like you couldn't live with them i had to live with one so that's <laughs> two so uh but i i take no i'm not i'm not a football fan who takes pro takes joy in other people's suffering um because you know arsenal have done really well in my lifetime but when i started supporting them they were not great they it was in between their sort of two success periods um so i don't like to dunk on people all that much because kind of what goes around comes around but yeah if you really hate united unless you're a liverpool fan because they lost yesterday um then uh then it's a good time well speaking of savage dunks that is rob zachney how are you rob oh just thriving enjoying the, <laughs> i was mentioned before the show enjoying the last of a cool front uh here in the northeast all it wrapped in a sweater got my teas my coffees uh really already in the pretend it's fall uh mode Ooh, fantastic well if you are new to this podcast welcome to the fall, the the autumn of Formula One. Mm. Uh, if you're new to Formula One itself, we recommend listening to our preseason primer episode, which assumes no prior F1 knowledge and explains how the sport works and who everybody is. So if you'd like to go back and listen to that, it's episode 178. Also, this show is supported entirely by our audience 
over at patreon.com slash shiftf1 where every month we release bonus podcasts and videos exclusively for our patrons that cover racing documentaries and films, open video games, experiments with other racing series, and a lot of weird things. So if you would like to support the show and get access to all that fun stuff, head over to patreon.com slash shiftf1 or click the link in the show notes. What do we have going on this month, Danny? Uh, we have a, a recording the end of this week. We're going to do a podcast all about the classic uh, F1 movie Le Mans, which people have been telling us to uh, Is it an F1 f- movie? Sorry, it's not an F1 movie. It's an <laughs> open wheel racing. Is it even? Nope. No, well, it's a it's it's a racing movie. <laughs> it's, it's cars. There's it's cars. cars. Is it a movie? Well, we just, <laughs> that's a good point. Who knows? I part document, Part documentary, part movie, part... Yeah, it's we're we're definitely reaching out into the the wilder escapes of of uh, some of these motorsport movies. And um, here's an interesting fact, though, because I moved to Novato here in the North Bay, I am quite close to Sonoma uh, Motor Speedway, and I was looking at what's going on mm. at Sonoma for the next couple of months because we're kind of after the sea. You know, most of their big mm-hmm. stuff is on during the summertime. I believe it's November, the twenty four hour of lemons. Oh boy. It's hitting the it's hitting Sonoma. So I am like I, I was I was look I went ooh and I was trying to explain to my wife how this is really cool. Uh this is of course if people don't know, this is the um twenty-four hour of Le Mans sort of uh pastiche where you are I think the maximum you can spend on a car is eight hundred dollars and uh, them being the lemons and then you basically have like good mechanics try and get these cars around the track for twenty-four hours. And uh, they also have like a I think it's a separate racing series or maybe it's in the same thing where people kind of do up their cars to look like silly things like ice cream trucks or, you know, whatever, <laughs> something from your favorite anime. Um, so it seems like a really good time. And I was thinking, man, I should definitely go. And then I was like, maybe maybe we should do like a get together or maybe we should like let Shift F1 people know or something so we can hang out or so. I'm, I'm trying to figure that out. But if you're in the Northern California area and you're halfway interested, hit me up on Discord or, or send in an email because... That could be fun. I think that would be a a good time. I think I think it's November in Sonoma. Awesome. Well, speaking yeah. of good times and patrons, good patrons. Thank you so much to all of our incredible title sponsors. Everyone likes to be like Mike, Team Blackjack, Michael Maves, Gordy's Army, at Talking Autos, Tanner McCleave, Olivia Evans, Pie Wright's Card Castle. No one, no one dropped out by the way during the summer break. It's pretty incredible. Amazing. We got a new one as well. See if you can. Hear them. Erica Siegel, Iron Station Studios, Alan McCrary, telemetrydeck.com, Gnarly Ghost, David Mule, Drew Stewart, Bailey Foot, Abdullah Althani, the title sponsor now known as Jack Chadwick, Abraham Getchell, Octothorpe Bunny Crimes, Snigs, Alex Goucher, Max Voltar, Circuit Demon. I was uh, moving house and I found a lot of my Circuit Demon stickers and stuck them on stuff. So thank Sweet. you, Circuit Demon, for sending those in. Um, Troy Stammer, Umberto Roca, William Rumpf. Irvine Clinical Research. Whoa. <laughs> Official. Wiley Albatong, now endangered apparently. And Jason Kelly. Fantastic. Uh, well, let's jump right into the news, shall news, we? After that news. list of names, we've got even more news. lists of names to talk about. Uh, no updates. I guess strangely, or maybe yeah. not. I'm on, shocked. Uh, the whole Oscar Piastri, uh, Alpine, McLaren, Ricardo situation. Um, I guess just to do, do a reset on that, Sebastian Vettel retired before the summer break. Uh, and then Alonso immediately took his seat, moving from Alpine to Aston Martin, freeing up an Alpine slot. 
Uh, and then Alpine was like, oh, great. Uh, Oscar Piastri, this Formula 2 superstar that we were going to put in a Williams uh, next year, we'll just put him in our uh, in our Alpine car because he's part of our driver program. And then, uh, and then Oscar Piastri's like, nope, not doing that because mm. my... Uh, Apparently, behind the scenes, Mark Webber, his agent, had secured him a McLaren deal. Interestingly, McLaren does not have any drivers that are out of contract. So, uh, presumably, Daniel Ricciardo, who had one more year to go, would be getting the boot. So, that's where we're at. No updates uh, from here. Um, Although, uh, Otmar Safnauer of Alpine has said that... Or, I'm sorry, of... um, uh, Aston Martin. I'm. Well, no, he yes. is Alpine. It is Alpine. I was thinking Aston Martin. It's very confusing. He used to be there. He's at Alpine now, and he said, "You know what? We would take Ricardo back. You know, he used to race for Alpine when it was called Renault, uh, and like, you know, no, no real issues there. There have been, uh, you know, uh, you know, spats before with drivers, um, but we 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 would take a, a race winner. Um, but uh, a couple. Let's see. One more." Uh, shoe has dropped here in the driver market. Alex Albon has re-signed for Williams mm. uh, in a multi-year deal. Uh, it's usually how things go. We don't actually get a number a lot of times. It's usually just like, oh, a multi-year deal. So it's two p- plus? Somewhere between two, two and a hundred, I think that right. usually means. Yeah. yeah. Uh, leaving us with only four drivers as yet unsigned uh, for next year. That is Zhou Guan Yu. Uh, Yuki Tsunoda, Mick Schumacher, and Nicholas Latifi. Uh, you will mention, and I'm just going to jump down here to this email we got that I did not mention Lance Stroll. Uh, this is from Richard. In a recent episode, Drew ran down a list of driver contracts expiring at the end of the season, and he mentioned Lance Stroll. I don't think that's accurate. I was watching free practice earlier in the season, hoping to get good info for my fantasy teams. Good strategy, Richard. Nice. Uh, and one of the commentators casually mentioned that Lance's contract lasts through 2036. <laughs> I can't find any articles confirming it, but get used to him clogging up the midfield. He'll still be there when you're in your 50s. Uh, I think, uh, I think Richard, that was some, some dry British wit. I think that was sarcasm. However, I did find... Um, confirmation that Lance Stroll will be driving for uh, Aston Martin next year. Uh, I overlooked it because it was not a team announcement uh, or even on his Twitter feed. It was buried in the announcement that Fernando Alonso will be driving for them. Wow. And it just says like Fernando Alonso and also Lance Stroll will be driving for us. And also the boss's son. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) They don't want to put too much sunlight on that maybe. Um, That is very funny. I do think if he ever sells the team it would be quite funny and a good idea to then give Lance the 2036 contract (laughs) to sort of make sure that he has some skin in the game still. Um, But yeah, Uh, interesting to see. Yeah, Joe, Sonoda, and I'm less confused about Latifi, but Mick Schumacher there as well. Really, you know, he hasn't had... I think Magnussen this year is probably been maybe worse for him because it just shows the golf and obviously he's a very um you know experienced driver but um i'd say mick will probably want to get a contract pretty soon uh, you know he kind of has that he has one more season maybe he's gonna ride a lot on the fact that he's mick schumacher and people really want him to do well there's a lot of goodwill behind him but yeah. um yeah he's, he's he's starting to look like he's in a sticky situation now but 
Yeah. Uh, the, the other ones, I think Joe, which we'll get to, seems mm. like he's doing all right. Uh, Sunoda, I feel like he really improved over last year, but, you know, I don't know if he's improved enough. It seems, though, that like Pierre Gasly, they both have had trouble with that car um, just from a reliability standpoint. I, I That would kind of surprise me if they got rid of him. Mick mm. Schumacher, I guess, is a question mark, and Latifi... I, I guess you could see either way. If they keep him, it's because of the money. If they boot him, it's because of his performance. So mm, yeah, who knows there? Uh, although, Rob, you flagged this other article in relation to this stuff. Do you, do you want to take this from Otmar? Oh, yeah. Uh, just that it's it's a funny detail, but uh, Safnauer was sort of asked what he thought went on uh, and went wrong, what went wrong with the negotiation. And according to him, one of the things that Alonzo was really looking forward to, looking for that Alpine, uh, according to him, wouldn't give was a uh, long term deal that uh, like he was he was looking for one of those uh, regardless of performance, long term guarantees of a seat. And according to Omar, we offered a one plus one deal. We discussed with Fernando that, look, if next year at this time you're performing at the same level, of course, we will take you. And that could have carried on. But I think you wanted more certainty independent of performance. Uh, I want to stay longer. And I think that was the crux of the uh, going one plus one as opposed to two plus one or three plus one or three years. Uh, so, you know, who knows? The, to to some degree, like, I think this is probably spin, which is that, you, you know, it's not that he completely bailed on the team and left us uh, totally at sea. It's that we were negotiating hard and uh, <laughs> he didn't want to have to, like, guarantee his spot. And we were we were like preparing to sort of uh, hold some st- hold him to some standards. Yeah, I think. Uh, do, do you did you, is this editorializing like because he's he's very old? Or is that, did he also say something about that? Uh, the, he did mention that, like, you know, the, there's uncertainty around him based on the fact that he is an aging driver. Uh, so, yeah, that was that that was definitely part of it uh, as well, where, uh, you know, according to that, like, that's why that's why they were looking for these short term deals was just to see that he was still at the level and we then they weren't sort of buying the end of career dip. Uh, effectively, Got it. Uh, you know, the Safnauer said there there comes a time when something happens physiologically to a driver, and you don't have the same abilities uh, you did when you were younger. Happened mm. to Michael. I think it's fair to say that Michael Schumacher, forty two, was not the same driver he was at thirty two or thirty five. It happens to other sportsmen too. So, like, I th- and you know, I mean. Aside from the fact that they got horribly dunked on, right? Like what, what happened is wildly embarrassing. They're not wrong. Um, you know, like Fernando has days where he looks tremendous. Carr also seems uh, to be better this year. But, uh, you know, it is like he is not a driver that necessarily you would want to say this is going to be the centerpiece of our plans uh, mm-hmm. moving forward. And so I, I can understand that they might have been, you know, if they were offering these kind of deals, I could also see that got, that getting his back up to the point where now he wanted to twist the knife. You know, not like that we know this is kind of an ego-driven guy in some ways. Uh, and so I, I could see just the fact of those offers and the implicit, like, distrust being one of the things that tipped him into being like, I'm going to burn this place down. Speaking of ego, did you see that? Um, I, I just saw the headline. But some oh, I love destroying my rivals. Or yeah, <laughs> who said that? 
Uh, some, let me let me look up the exact quote. Oh, it's Rob. it's not only on racing. I just need to destroy the strengths of others, and I try to maximize mine. And it's <laughs> so okay. I found the context for the quote over at Racing Three Sixty Five, which is uh, where Dieter Rankin uh, has has ended up after leaving race fans. Uh, the quote is like the, the full context is not as like, uh, you know, Patrick Bateman as it sounds. Basically, <laughs> he talks about like whenever he's playing like sports, he tries to figure out like if someone's really good at something. He is he, like, like the example of when I play tennis with someone who's good at tennis, uh, he mm-hmm. says, when I play with someone good, I would put the ball very high because like this, you stop the rhythm of, of them because they are used to hitting the ball very hard. Uh, playing with professionals, the ball arrives very strong for them, so they're used to that kind of shot. When you put the ball high, they make mistakes because the ball arrives very soft. So I can play better tennis when putting the ball high. So it's like it's actually pretty sensible, right? Where it's just like you don't you do not play into what your opponents are good at. Um, but you do. But he ends on the quote that got shared everywhere, which is, "I try to destroy. I need to destroy the strengths of the others." <laughs> I love it. It's very Fernando Alonso. <laughs> um, all right. Well, uh, we we talked about Joe. Uh, Danny, a couple updates here uh, about from him. Yeah, a little interesting one. Um, sort of Joe adjacent almost, because as you said, he's uh, been doing really well this year. And uh, sort of, um, you know, the, the the rookie years, as some of those rookie drivers have, have done well, I think Joe is, is probably above the median in terms of that. But uh, some interesting little stories around him. First one, some quotes from Frederick Brasseur about sponsorship which was quite interesting because we often talk about this in relation to you know drivers like for Sergio Perez for instance um whenever there's a Brazilian driver in a car that with that comes a bunch of sponsorship from that region um and this one comes from racer.com while Alfa Romero has added some 27 new sponsors this year only two have been from China um and Vasser admits that he expected more interest a quote from him we have two sponsors from China uh, we oh, one we had in 2019 and they came back this season and another one that we signed recently the issue is china is not an easy market today because of covid and the fact that we don't have uh, the grand prix it's starting now to move a little bit so obviously the chinese grand prix has been um uh, suffering because of covid although i mean if you listen to this podcast long enough you know that the chinese grand prix is perhaps the least attended major grand prix in all of f1 it is a uh, it's built in a swamp outside of shanghai i believe it's quite far it's like maybe 80 miles or something it's it's quite in the middle of nowhere and has very big stands which are often quite empty um tv though is obviously something uh else and apparently there has been a good tv deal signed in china which will expand the coverage to a much wider audience so they're hoping that that'll make a big difference um uh, he ends on saying, it's not a matter of having a Chinese driver in the car. If you want to get something and be attractive, you need to perform probably more in China than somewhere else. He did a good job from the beginning. So I guess it's just harder for teams that are in the mid-pack or lower to get sponsorship whole cloth. Because if you're, it's kind of like, you know, you know, baseball is not big in Europe, but people know who the Yankees are. It, that type of effect of, you know, some of the bigger teams like Ferrari, I assume, punch through there, whereas it's not necessarily the case for them. Um, it just it just sounds like, you know, there would be sponsors if there was more of an F1 fandom there, right? It, it, doesn't, it doesn't make sense for an F1 sponsor because there aren't enough eyeballs in China on F1. Um, so it's kind of a 
I guess it's sort of a chicken and the egg thing, but yeah. um, it sounds like maybe if they do sign this good TV deal in China, that will change, but it's not, it doesn't seem like it's going to be a quick thing. Yeah. It's kind of like the way we talked about um, W series and that there are sort of like institutional barriers in the way that you sort of have to whittle away at by, you know, it's not fair to say that you start W series and say, oh, it's not as popular as F1. That means women don't care about watching female drivers it's like no you need to like it needs to be there and establish itself and the quality needs to get better and everything sort of like all the ships sort of rise in the same tide so i wonder i wonder actually is there another sport in china we could point to that has had a big you know upsurge in the past 10 20 years like is basketball is american basketball really popular there or is you know soccer for instance stuff like that you know european soccer is obviously the Premier League has become incredibly popular in the past 10 years. Um, so, yeah, uh, I wonder if there's something there. And then a little bit, le- uh, um, uh, again, Joe-related, only because of his horrific crash in Silverstone, uh, we talked about the roll hoop sort of digging in and flipping the car over, which was obviously not awesome. And they talked a little bit about uh, looking into how they might add in some changes to the roll hoop design in the upcoming regs um, and the FAA have confirmed that they will be changing it for next season for, from next season roll hoop designs will be modified such as featuring a rounded top in a bit in a bid to reduce the risk of them digging into the ground in an accident and a new low test applied on the hoops in forward direction the FAA say that the roll hoop tests will be overhauled to make them more stringent uh, that quote from racefans.net so again another sort of we've gotten used to it in some respect whenever something bad happens that a bunch of new regulations come in so we shouldn't take it for granted that they'll fix it so it's obviously good to see that um they're kind of coming at it from like three different directions there just to make sure because there was a couple of different problems with that roll hoop um and and the sort of legacy design that they were still running on that alpha um so yeah good to know good great that he walked away from it and great that we won't have another accident hopefully like that uh, because of that um in the future does it seem i'm trying to cast my memory back to like the bernie days and whenever an incident would happen it's it would it feels to me like instead of like a yeah we're we're gonna we're gonna change that and we're gonna have more stringent tests it would be like well do we really need it and like a lot more hemming and hawing does that try- seem fair I'm, it's hard mm. to tell because i'm trying to think of like the halo bad crashes that happen so like, there's more it, hemming and hawing back then yeah so yeah I don't I, I don't think that's fully fair uh, because I think maybe in the later years it got to that point. But I think the thing you have to remember is Bernie and Max Mosley, for all you could say about them, oversaw a real like emphasis on safety in the sport. Like one of the things that people gave and, and Max Mosley was a figure that people had a lot of issues with because kind of an arrogant asshole to deal with in, in a lot of places. And, and, a, and a Nazi bunga bunga party fan. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so you know, honestly, like that that libel suit he won, uh, the whole like the the Nazi thing of it. When you watch the video, it's like no, he just he has he has a fucked up prisoner BDSM kink. It was okay. like it did not appear to be Nazi Don't kink shit, shame, which okay. is how he which is how he was uh like. Which well, then I take that it lawsuit. back. Don't don't sue us, Max Mosley. Well, he's dead. Uh, <laughs> so but but, but but by all accounts, like Mosley really did emphasize uh like instituting a culture of safety in f1 uh and i think maybe if they got complacent in well mostly eventually got sort of uh driven out but if they were complacent in later years it's partly because 
Bernie was old as hell and was sort of in a value extraction mode uh, with F1 for years. But also, I think it's one of those things where if you're the reformers and you bring in a host of reforms and like turn F1 into a sport where, you know, for a decade, nobody is seriously injured doing it. I yeah. sort of see how you end up at a point where where you're like, oh, it's job done. Like uh, we're it's it's not there, we don't we don't need to examine this stuff as closely as we used to because we like we're all enjoying the fruits of this this victory for safety. So so I think it's more like I I feel like they advanced where safety was in F one and then stood path for a while uh, and now it, we're in a more proactive phase again and I think that's partly just because. Unfortunately, between uh, jewels and, uh, you know, host of incidents in IndyCar and like Formula Two, uh, people are more aware now of the risks. And so I, I feel like that's probably contributing to the more proactive aspect of it than necessarily the culture change. Yeah, it's fun. It, I think I'm trying to cast my mind back to like bad accidents that happened during the, you know, obviously the shock of 94 with Senna and Ratzenberger and sort of we've had actually some bad you know since bianchi we've actually had some bad you know grosjean was obviously a terrible crash Gro- kibitza had that bad off in canada remember schumacher's last race in abu dhabi he had a pretty nasty one that he was kind of lucky to walk away from um but but that era aside from like the rubens barrichello screw mm-hmm. you know what i mean like like incidents like that i, I i'm struggling to think mark weber flipping like he walked away from that as well in that was in um Valencia, I believe. Uh, yeah, it's hard to... I, I'm trying to... If anyone remembers or knows um, Shift of One Podcast at gmail.com, I think it would be interesting to hear. But yeah, like, like as Rob said, it, was, it wasn't was a you know perfectly safe era, but f- I don't remember there being any one part in particular that people were like humming and hawing about. Um, certainly not until Bianchi and the Halo stuff. That that was very much a watershed moment for the for the sport. Yeah, fair enough. Well, speaking of big changes, Rob, what's what looks to be next in this whole uh, manufacturer saga? So there's a there's a bunch of things that are that are all in play right now. Um, so I'm going to get some of this wrong, to be frank. If people have followed this more closely, uh, feel free to send in corrections because uh, it is kind of a it's a naughty set of issues and changes that are that are coming in so for a while there's been uh it's been it's been sort of openly discussed that uh vw group has been interested in getting an f1 now there's a long history of vw group sort of playing footsie with f1 and then deciding not to not to get in (laughs) the sport is bigger now uh they're looking for their marketing opportunities particularly for the for the porsche brand and so there's it's sort of known that Porsche was coming into F1. Uh, it would appear that the way they're going about that, and that this is, uh, in my opinion, editorialized, like this is kind of a disappointing way for VW Group to come in. Porsche is buying a 50% stake in Red Bull. Mm. And so instead of them launching a new, uh, you know, works team and expanding the grid, uh, we're going to get a Porsche badged uh, Red Bull team. And in addition to that, and this part is murkier, it seems like Audi might be coming in also not wanting to start an 11th team. But instead, uh, apparently looking at taking over uh, Alfa Romeo is a leading candidate, uh, basically like uh, taking over the, the old Sauber facilities. 
because um, the fact that that's still the Sauber team, just with the uh, the Alpha badge uh, applied to it. All of this, so, though, was sort of being put on hold because uh, VW Group wanted to know what the engine regulations were going to be from 2026 moving forwards. And Helmut Marco and Red Bull were complaining that uh, the teams were dragging their feet on finalizing engine regs in part to kind of screw with the newcomers and just like give mm. them less runway to get ready for coming into the sport. Plus, there were politics to be sorted out. I don't know how this all came out in the wash, but the whole question of whether or not Red Bull powertrains would be a new manufacturer, given that they oh, were right. like. Right, and then Honda sort of ended up staying in the sport, and the the changeover didn't end up fully happening. So Red Bull Powertrains is effectively like working with Honda, and when Porsche comes in, they're just going to work with Porsche instead of Honda. So the whole like Red Bull is going to build their own engines at Red Bull Powertrains <laughs> doesn't appear to be the thing. Or if they do, it's going to be like a partnership facility. Um, mm-hmm. is is how I get that's coming together. But that hasn't been announced yet. This is still just like the theory about what's going on now uh over racing 365 uh like uh first seed rankin did notice that uh porsche trademarked finally f1 finally finally one n-a-l-l-y yeah f1 lee so the, you know clearly they're, <laughs> awesome. they're they're prepared for their big debut uh which wow. is sort of it's it's very funny too uh just the notion of like man f1 fans have just been dying to for a porsche to come back to the sport it's like no, no <laughs> nobody cares but sure it'll be a big deal to porsche fans uh it yeah. just isn't a big deal i think in f1 uh not the way they think but all this was on hold until the engine regs uh got finalized which they just were and mm. so doesn't seem like there's any huge surprises here uh in terms of uh in, in terms of what's going on the, the, there's going to be the powertrain cost cap the engines they're going to be using the powertrains they're using from now till 2025 uh are capped that that entire operation is 95 million uh dollars in 2026 and moving forward uh you have 130 million dollars per year uh for for powertrains um excluding marketing uh and then dealing with current power generate uh power unit uh activities and supplying customers uh so you do not have to like the cost of like developing parts for customer teams does not count against your cost cap It, it, it it counts against theirs uh they're keeping they're keeping the uh turbo v6s uh, they are expanding their uh, dependence on the on the battery. Uh, they're they're going to sense. they're going to go up to uh, I guess 350 kilowatts. Uh, they're also instituting like they're they're committing that to synthetic fuel and to that end, uh, Drew. We we didn't end up including this in the news segment, but uh, it does look like Formula Two in 2024. Uh, are going to be moving to a synthetic or sustainable fuel the way the way F1 is putting it, probably in large part to make sure these things are ready to be dropped into the uh, F1 engines when mm-hmm. uh, w- when the time comes. Uh, they also instituted they they clarified uh, breaches of the the budget cap limit. Uh, I don't know if this pro- applies to team wide or just powertrains, but. 
Uh, small breaches uh, involve small, small like financial penalties um, or tiny sporting uh, penalties. Serious infringements, they, they yeah. have clarified championship points will be deducted uh, from your wow. total. Okay, that's good. So, yeah. Uh, it appears like this is a right. done deal. Uh, this is going to set up. This is this is allegedly setting F one up to be to meet its net zero goals. Uh, but I think the main thing is the 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 reason this was so important was that VW Group had set down the marker that they would not commit to coming into the sport until they knew what the power unit regulations were. Once that right. was confirmed, they would have I think like their corporate board would vote. And they will like come into the sport. Um, so it would be surprising at this point if they if they pull back. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, so it's going to be Porsche is going to be fifty uh, percent owner of the Red Bull team. But my suspicion is like still leadership is going to reside with the the Red Bull team that's been there for for ages. Um, they will supply engines to AlphaTauri, obviously, but that is going to remain a fully Red Bull owned and operated. Uh, pro- uh, like project and then audi i've heard less it, it, does, it doesn't seem like the alfa romeo thing is sure like so audi i think is still out there trying to figure out how they can get in on this and i'm not sure like they've they've found their their partner org hmm. man right on. big change yeah. i wonder how much of a change it'll be for red bull like from a i like, i don't know to me they always strike myself as a as a independent is maybe not the right word but you know it's you know the thing is but they don't want they, they don't want to mess with engines they never have like the, yeah. the issue the renault thing went so bad was because like from their perspective like all red bull all red bull wanted from renault was a decent engine and like they they wanted to cover every other aspect of their racing uh operation my suspicion is that they anticipate that being the relationship they effectively have with porsche uh and you got a management cohort that's been there for ages like your porsche you you're you wouldn't want to mess with it uh so my my suspicion is like i think this is maybe one reason why i find it kind of a, a disappointing uh entry it does just feel like Porsche is going to come in. They're going to develop engines for F1 and having new suppliers, obviously important for the sport. But uh, I was certainly hoping that we might get a works team with a whole new cast mm-hmm. of personalities, two more racing seats, a different like culture to the team. Uh, instead, it's it's going to be, uh, you know, Porsche basically investing engine R&D uh, into an extant program. And I think it would probably make sense for Porsche, right? Because running the full team becomes a money pit. Uh, there's a lot of core competencies competencies you have to develop. So I, I get why they didn't want to come all the way in. But 22 cars sounded real cool. I want 22 cars yeah, on the grid. I want, I want, and I, and I would love, like, I would have loved, honestly, like unleashing the full power and weirdness of German automotive engineering. <laughs> and the industry there because like you know mercedes is it has multiple facilities but like you know it certainly seems like fundamentally that that is a british team in terms of mm-hmm. culture and it has like german like leadership uh and like partners uh you know on the continent but i i would have really been interested to see like you know porsche is germany's ferrari 
right? So like, is mm. you know, Ferrari brings like a really distinctive uh, heritage and culture into the sport. I would have been fascinated to see what like a full independent Porsche operation was going to be. Instead of just, it, it kind of seems like it's going to be, we'll build the engines and you take care of the rest. Well, I, I for one, would love to see an entire sport uh, managed by Rob Zachney. And it sounds, Danny, like that may be in our future, at least virtually. <laughs> yes, I believe the embargo has just dropped so I can talk about this. Um, F1 Manager, the video game, not to be confused with the F1 official video game i guess we should call that or um, motorsport manager or motorsport manager yes this is made by frontier developments who are you know make a bunch of management games like you know jurassic world evolution is a one that my wife plays a lot of planet yes. coaster uh you know they make elite dangerous as well if you're into uh, video games oh, you know who david braben is uh, they're a pretty big deal but uh yes they they are working on uh or have been working on f1 manager 2022 which is a sort of a new franchise within the F1 video game sphere uh, where you manage an F1 team. And I was, re- I, 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 I think I played a bit of Motorsport Manager. I remember playing that one on the iPhone F1, mm-hmm. whatever that was. That was good fun. Um, not, the, not the Motorsport Manager one. There was like a, the people who made Game Dev Story, I think, made an F1 one as well. And it was, okay. very, it was quite good. Maybe it was just racing. That was quite fun. Um, and I'm not mad into management games, but I wanted to give this one a go. Um, and I've been enjoying it. I've only played like six hours or so. And I've mostly been enjoying it from a, oh, this is novel kind of like <laughs> perspective. Um, I, I could go on about it, but I, I'm interested in what questions you might have about it. Like what sort of, what are you wondering going into it blind? Yeah, well, I mean, what are you like, what are you doing moment to moment? And are, are, I, I'm assuming there are different phases. Like, all right, now we're in the garage or now we're out on track. I guess I'm most curious about what you're doing while the cars are on track. But yeah, what do you what do you do? Yeah, there's kind of two main phases. There's the sort of between the weekends and then there's the race weekends themselves. And between the weekends, you're doing a lot of um, finance stuff, trying to get drivers out to do sponsorship things, um, adding, you know, R&D uh, to the car, adding facilities. To, I bought, um, of course, I went with Haas and I bought Mick Schumacher a new uh, simulator so he could get a, get a couple, <laughs> get a bit more laps in. Um, uh, so yeah, it's uh, it, there's a lot of that. Like it's the real teams. Uh, the models for them are really cool looking. Actually, they 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 do a good job on that. Um, uh, and yeah, you're you're sort of adding to the facility and working on all that. You're you're accountable to the shareholders who have like certain. Um, uh, goals for you and then if there's weekends that are coming up that you think are strong you can sort of almost like bet on your team you can sort of add like extra incentives for for sponsors that if you reach them you'll get a big payout and if you don't reach them then you'll you know you'll lose a bit of money maybe so stuff like you know i think we're going to get into q1 this week um or you know i think we'll get points this week or something like that and then uh, the race weekends themselves obviously just like the real race weekends are split up into practice quality in the race Mo- like almost all of the non-race weekend stuff is in menus and then the race weekend stuff is um it's almost like most of the screen is the tv feed kind oh, of wow. uh, yeah and you, you can also c- cycle between the cars and also go to a couple of different um uh cameras on the car like facing forward facing back that type of thing um for practice it's about uh you know you can also have the team just do this if you don't want to do this and just worry about the races you can have them you know simulate practice simulate qualifying or whatever um 
but basically I would say the thing that you're doing mostly on that week weekend for the qualifying and the race is like qualifying's fun because qualifying is like picking your tire compound you know trying to get out there to do a hot lap fueling the car for as many laps as you want you hit the button to say go now so you're like trying to find a spot to send them out where there's oh cool the track is hot enough but there's not you know a huge train in front of them um like trying to time all that stuff is really interesting uh does it show you like where you would like where you're predicted to come out on the no maybe there's a way of doing that but for me it was mostly like intuitive because you can see all the other cars going out so you can see that okay um so you can if if you are watching qualifying you can watch it in like normal speed you can do double speed and it'll speed up the cars and if you go faster than that you can go up to 16 times it goes out to a map and you see the map instead because they just don't want to show you i guess cars driving you know you wouldn't be able to tell what was going on if they're driving at 16 percent speed or 16 uh, times speed um so yeah, trying to get them up into the different qualifying is cool. And then the races are really interesting because like you'll be overtaking, uh, there'll be like incidents happen that like bring, I've had safety cars happen and like bring them in, bring them in, bring them in and like totally screwed with our strategy. You have like, you can go into races with multiple strategies, kind of like an A strategy, a B strategy, give them to different drivers, maybe have a weird strategy in there in case something else goes wrong. They tell you a lot about having off strategy stuff ready just in case something, you know, happens like a crash or rain or something um i would say one of the things that always stood out to me when i first started playing for instance like premier league manager or when football manager became really big is oftentimes the on pitch action or in this case the on track action could be kind of not realistic in service of this in service of the statistics or serving up the simulation part um and i'd say that there are moments in this where there are sort of I've had battles where I was overtaking and again getting overtaken by the same driver like ten laps in a row, which seems like maybe a bit too <laughs> meaty, uh, you know, a, a bit too exciting almost. Um, but apart from that, um, it's it seems like it's a, a pretty good facsimile of like a race where you know you're jumping between i've often had times where i was like focusing on kevin too much and then like mick spun out on the fifth lap in a race and i just didn't give a crap about him for the rest of it i was just <laughs> focusing on getting mags and points and then i forgot about schumacher and then he spun again because he was on bad tires and we hadn't brought him in um but it's good it's yeah I, I like it i like the presentation of it they have a lot of like voices so oh i should say there's one more thing um that they do in the races that are cool um there are like three different um i guess aspects of the car's drivability that you can mess with um one is just pure pace you can tell them to push or attack uh one is the um ers system and the other one is fuel flow so you can like set up like to go okay push now push now and that, and you'll basically set up the you know depl- have ers deployed to like the top amount or whatever and you basically call it it and then the driver will say say whatever back but all those radios they have the engineer and the driver so nice. that's quite cool so you'll hear like you know uh grosjean's old engineer who's now schumacher saying like okay mick you know push now and then mick will go okay we're go- i'm going oh that's really cool that's i thought that was kind of yeah that's like a good effect um i haven't had a driver disobey me yet i don't know if that's in it um obviously kevin and mick are pretty good boys <laughs> so <laughs> maybe i should have gone with uh, fernando on something but um yeah i've been enjoying it i'm not sure what 
you know, if it's a game I'll play for 60 hours or not. Um, but uh, I've been enjoying it so far. Uh, I suspect reviews will be coming out pretty soon. The game is out on August 30th, which is a week from this recording. And it's coming out on everything, basically. PlayStation 4 or 5, Xbox One and the series and PC. I was playing on PC. Uh, yeah. Wow, I'm looking it? at some screenshots and there are a lot of numbers up here. I'm also I'm looking at like the team page. It's got Lewis Hamilton and George Russell, and then under the AMG Patronus Formula One team logo, it says "Board Confidence Medium." <laughs> I had one with a. Is it Oscar Piastri? I think is the Haas. No, no, it's not. Who is? No, it's not Oscar. Who's the? What? Fet, sorry, Pietro Fittipaldi. That's who it uh-huh. is. What I was saying. Um, so at the end of each race, it'll tell you like, oh, your Mick Schumacher has upgraded this much XP and your K-Mag has done this and your Pietro has had zero because he was off doing something in F2 or whatever. But it's like always there and his little face pops up. You're like, cool, I guess I could like bring him in for practice or something. Um, you can scout other drivers. Uh, it has like, they have like, I think all of the F2 and F3 drivers in there. Um, I'm not sure if they have anyone else from any other series. That would have been cool if they had like W series or something in there, but mm-hmm. um, I, I I can't remember. But they have um, them, so you can like do like deep scouting on some of those drivers and pick them up. Like I think there's probably a lot of fun to be had there. Like you know trying to get Callum Eilash to come over and drive for Haas or something. You know build build out a team. How's um, the tutorialization? Because this looks daunting. But yeah, I'm not great at these types of games. You know, and I didn't find it over overwhelming. I okay. think. There is depth there if you want it. I never felt pressurized into doing it. They did a lot of like, they would tell me, they do a lot of hand-holding for the first race weekend. And then on like the second and third ones, your little assistant person will pop up and she was like, oh, just so you know, here's another thing you can do. You know what I mean? Kind of not giving you every single ingredient right off the bat, but sort of like sprinkling them in a little bit. Um, So I found that fun. Uh, And yeah, like I think there's probably like the f1 games there's probably a lot of different ways you can play these like you i i liked picking a hoss and trying to just get points i think that's yeah. a fun way of doing it but i'm sure you can also you know go for whoever ferrari and try and get a championship um yeah so there's a one question i had because i i'm playing a bunch of motorsport manager uh lately and one thing that i feel like those games have a little bit of there's a tension between like making games satisfying and like kind of making it realistic in motorsport manager. The thing they've kind of done is like, if you put money and time into improving something on the car, it'll be improved. You will like, mm. you can, if you, if you make judicious, judicious decisions, you will steadily like sort of advance your car, uh, in terms of overall pace. And obviously like, that's kind of not how F1 works necessarily, right? right. Like, I mean, famously, some like Haas got a on the wrong research track, uh, you know, a couple years back ago with uh, with Grosjean. And so I'm curious, like, does it feel like it's kind of one to one? You're like, I'm going to prove this. And it's like, yep, you improved it. Or does, does the game kind of adopt a you're buying a hope that you're going to pull something off, but not necessarily like make it a guarantee? That's a great question. And the first thing I did when I when I got in was I spent a bunch of money on upgrades to try and see how they come off. I haven't played enough to really properly answer that, but I, what I will say is that like the it felt like the improvements would be like marginal, but also that there was a degree of risk in how you could approach the research. So for instance, when I was like researching a new, um, the Haas was bad at low speed or high speed cornering. So I was 
changing some stuff on the rear wing to to help with that and when i was doing it it was it was showing me sort of numbers of like this is what we think we'll get out of it but also here's like the downside on a bit of like low speed we'll see and then when you like when you when you progress through the you know getting the research first of all the 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 researchers you have is part of it the the people the personnel who are there but then you have to like spend like cfd time and spend aero time you know you have your whatever amount of computational fluid dynamics you're like 100 hours you're allowed to use your 10 hours of wind tunnel timers or whatever and you have to add those up and as you do it'll kind of tell you okay like this is kind of where we think it'll Mm be and then you have to do you know standard or rushed you know and it'll cost twice as much to research if you rush it and all that sort of stuff um and i've had stuff come back and say like oh it's been you know we this i i haven't had to come back and say like oh this was like 80 percent successful or 60 percent successful i have played a lot of jurassic world game and uh roller coaster tycoon to, to a certain or not right what is it called planet coaster um to a certain extent and those games do do that where like if you rush the job maybe it won't be as good um but i can't say for sure unfortunately but even i would say the the improvements it was like telling me i was going to get were marginal you know what i mean it was yeah it was more like you'll notice it over the course of a race maybe not a quality lap um yeah so it's it's there's a lot of meat on this it's always funny when it comes to management games because there are some people who just want more and more and more depth and then there are other people who want it to be accessible and it seems like and they're almost like impossible games to make i feel like management games because you're really just going for such a different type of player um but i have enjoyed it and stuck with it in a way that most managing games especially ones that aren't building stuff like building theme parks or building hospitals or whatever i'm good at i like or jurassic world i like those because i'm building something i'm not very good at the spreadsheet games um Mm -hmm. for a spreadsheet game i find the races to be really fun because you can like click on every driver and see what they're doing and have a look at the map and does the action look kind of compelling yeah it does i i think it looks great i think like the tv stuff looks good the onboard cameras it's not as like um it's not as 4k or or sharp maybe but but it looks it looks like i mean because the motorsport manager like one thing they do not render convincingly really is like I, I think partly because of the stats issue, right? Um, right, like yeah. The cars don't race each other in a way that's like very convincing, like the way they sort of clump together. And I'm curious, like when you're watching it, do you get like in a in a close race, do you get a bit of a sense of like, yeah, we got a cool a cool duel here? You mentioned that like obviously there was that case where people were just like passing each other back and forth way too much. But <laughs> yeah. but when you're when you're sort of invested in the race, do you find like watching the action is kind of rewarding uh, in terms of like, yep feels like a, it's, a, it's a cool f1 experience yeah so i was see i was seeing where like kev was doing good you could like you you guess like sector times yeah. obviously but you could see where he was losing the time which i thought was cool like i could see on the first race that he was he was not doing great out of the high-speed corners at the on in sector three you could like visually see it um and there's loads of graphs. Drew, you'll love it. There's loads of like, you know, tire wear, like where you mm. are in the plan, where what the the time, how the tires are heating up, all that sort of stuff. Um, but yeah, I, I think like, I think if you're looking for something that looks, you know, as good as the F1 game when it comes to that, you're probably, that's a bit too much. But I was surprised by how good it did look. Um, like, like I was watching it and I was, I was getting the information I needed from watching it. It felt like, okay, yeah, Mick is... A little bit risky here or the only problem i'd I'd say the starts of the race aren't great 
which is often the case if you just do like an AI race in any motorsport game. They they kind of all won't know what to do on the first turn. They'll they'll sort of like get in single file, you know what I mean, to to make sure no one crashes. Um, so I feel like the starts of the races are maybe the least convincing, but then once they're out and out uh, across the circuit, it's it's pretty good. Um, the pits look decent and. Yeah, it's fun bringing them in for pets and trying to do overlaps and undercuts and all that sort of stuff. I think it's that's that's the stuff I've really been enjoying or doing like really weird strategies or like I haven't had a proper proper rain ra- race yet. Speaking of spa, mm-hmm. but um, um, I bet that's I bet that's a lot of fun as well. Yeah, speaking of Spa, you want to take us to the track walk, Danny? Yeah, just in case you're not sick of me talking, uh, Spa Francochamps, <laughs> we're going to the Ardennes Forest in beautiful Belgium. So this is, if you don't know F1, this is basically one of the most beloved tracks for both drivers and spectators, which is not often the case. Monaco is a good example of the sort of opposite side of that uh, equation, perhaps. Um, but Spa is loved for many, many, many reasons. I think visually, from a televisual perspective, it is it is a... Uh, just a thunderous raucous track it's just burning through like european hillsides and forests it's like scorching its way through forests and up hills it shouldn't go on and it's just a long track it's 44 laps um seven kilometers just about uh thanks for the conversion drew 4.35 miles um and it's been around for donkey's years. Like the first race they had here was back in the twenties. Uh, it sort of became a proper open wheel racing track post World War II, where the you know if you know anything about battles and bulges or the Ardennes, you know there was quite a lot of activity um, in this region during the war. Um, but from about 1950 onwards, they were doing races uh, uh, pretty steadily. Uh, the track used to be much longer. The one we have now is still the longest track. I'm pretty sure it's the longest track on the F1 circuit. Mm, I think um, Jenna might have topped it, weirdly oh, yeah. enough. Really? Yeah. Man. Um, but in in any case, it is, uh, it is uh, so long and so twisty and so sort of on the sides of hillsides that this is the one where uh, weather can really play havoc because you can have rain on one side of the track and and relative dry on the other side um, and it does rain here a lot because it's high up and it's in the hills so you get relief rain it's it's in the middle of the continent so you just get a lot of cloud activity regardless um and i, I don't know I, I this has always been a great track for racing and for overtaking anyway it has two drs straights um but outside of that it's just so high speed and has high speed corners that overtaking here and it's wide that overtaking here has been not particularly difficult i do wonder with the new regs if we're if how, how exciting how much more exciting it could be i guess how closer they could follow especially through sector two where it gets a little bit uh tight um but uh yeah like it's always been on spa it's it's always produced good races it's even if it except if for the competition except for except for the rain out Oh, exa- exa- yeah. sorry, you're right. Except for George Russell's amazing yeah. <laughs> first points, I think it was. Yeah, I mean, podium, first podium. It's uh, so, but I was wrong. Uh, it turns out like, Spa, I think, is still the longest. I thought so, I thought there'd been a track introduced that that, that topped it, but uh, no, like Spa's still hella long. China's long too, but yeah. Uh, the Also, it seems like there's real fear this is the last one of these. Um, the, the Spa's not going to be renewed. Uh, Landon Norris. Oh my uh, God, could are, you imagine? Yeah, like Landon Norris and Max have both sort of been kind of outspoken on like it'd just be awful if we lost this. Like there's there's too many street circuits uh, that they're adding to F1, which I think is a, a fair critique. I like, you know, it's it 
really does seem like uh, Liberty is turning the screws on them and is really like looking for a sense of like what's the what's the event uh, that goes with Spa as if like the Spa Grumpy isn't event enough uh so yeah i i hope that they can that they can work this out because i think it would be absurd uh to lose spa but and and like you know the, the one of the reasons that sports like the like races like this are in danger is to make space for you know your las vegas's uh your, your kailami etc which seems crazy because spa is all is one of the most popular european not just popular in terms of people liking it but well attended um f1 races in europe it's it's yeah there are times sought after there are times i get the vibe from liberty that to an extent they took over a concern that was ready to pop and uh have have been really fortunate in terms of like the partnership with netflix etc that like uh, this has become such a growing sport, but I do wonder to what degree Liberty actually like gets the credit for that versus like, you know, they're being wisely, they, they, they were fortunate in their timing and they've made the most of some opportunities and they're certainly less hidebound than Bernie was. Uh, but this sort of one size fits all approach to what an F1 like race weekend should look like mm. and sort of the mania for like trying to get in like, get into uh and saturate more markets i I think there's a little bit of uh they seem like they could end up sort of cutting some parts of the heart of the sport i i would be so like honestly i would be shocked if spa was gone off of like i think i i outside of monaco which even monaco's divisive i think spa might be the most beloved f1 track on the calendar and has been for like 20 years so i think there would be a huge backlash to this um one of the main changes that we're going to see this uh race weekend is uh because of uh the other aspect of spa being a, it was historically a very dangerous track and of course um uh, in 2019 uh this is where antoine hubert lost his life at the uh exit of the most famous track or turn rather the sort of uphill climb of eau rouge or radion being the the turn at the top of it um so they've completely, this was like sacrosanct in the view of many F1 fans. And then eventually sort of enough pressure came that they decided to open it up. So um, it's been changed fairly dramatically. And there's been a bunch of other races on it in the past couple of months. So I've been watching it. Um, it, sort, it still looks like Eau Rouge to me. It has much more of a runoff on its left-hand side. They've built out a big stand. Um, yeah, and, and has the turn actually changed or is it just the runoff? Um, the, run, the turn at the top um seems like there's more on the left you know the way when you got to the top of radion they had to like kink to the right before they straightened up on the left um that right kink is now not there as far as really? i can see it's 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 less yeah the 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 sort of inside well the inside right turn is still there but the trying to like just get around the net turn at the top isn't so dramatic um the right hand side is pretty much the same like they can't do anything there there's a hill um but the left-hand side has a lot more uh, runoff. Somebody, I, I, I don't know. If the, somebody said there was gravel further up. I'm not sure if that's the case. I couldn't see it mm. in any of the feeds that I saw. But, um, uh, but yeah, it's been opened up pretty, pretty widely. There's more space on that left-hand side, um, which hopefully means that. And it's why I think the track's been pushed over it. Yeah, yeah, they did. They took the house down. Yeah, um, I think, I think, I'm not sure, but I think maybe the profile of the turn might be slightly further to the left as well, which is why if the cars go off to the right, they won't 
be recollected, which was the main, main problem with that tiny runoff on the right-hand side, and ultimately what happened to Antoine Hubert. Um, but yeah, we'll have to wait and see what the F1 cars look like going up that. Uh, most importantly, though, what's the weather like, Drew? Oh, boy. Um, who knows? <laughs> like, I have a, a weather report in front of me, but, like, this is one of those tracks where there's it's it's just, just a bunch dice. of microclimates, and, yeah, it's, it's a complete toss-up. Uh, it does look to be pretty cool. Um, uh, on, well, I, I guess on the cooler side on qualifying day, 68 degrees uh, Fahrenheit or 20 Celsius. Precipitation, for what it's worth, is sitting at about 20% right now. Uh, on qualifying day uh, about, and about just climbs a little bit more 25% on race day uh, and only a couple degrees warmer at uh, 70 or uh, 21 Celsius. Mm. So um, that's what it says for now. But again, like it, it can change, it can change a week, you know, uh, uh, days from now and minute by minute in spa, which is what makes it so fun. Yeah, Absolutely. But heading into the spa round, let's take a look at the driver standings. Just to refresh everybody, Max Verstappen is on top uh, with 258 points. That is 80 points ahead of his closest rival, Charles Leclerc, in second place. Uh, As we mentioned, Max Verstappen could come second to Charles Leclerc in every race, including the sprint race uh, this year, and still win the championship. Uh, Sergio Perez is in third with 173. That is five points behind Leclerc. So that is, in effect, a three-way fight for the championship. Mm. Anything can happen in Formula One, and it usually does. Uh, George (laughs) Russell is in fourth with 158 points, two points ahead of Carlos Sainz, who's in fifth with 156. Lewis Hamilton in sixth with 146 points. Then a big gap down to Lando Norris in seventh with 76 points. Esteban Ocon's in eighth with 58 Valtteri Bottas in ninth with 46. Fernando Alonso in 10th place with 41. Then we've got Magnussen with 22. Ricardo with 19. Gasly with 16, tied with Sebastian Vettel. Mick Schumacher is in 15th place with 12 points. Then we've got Yuki Tsunoda with 11. Zhou Guanyu with 5. Lance Stroll with 4. Alex Albon with 3. And then Nicholas Latifi and Nico Hülkenberg with 0. In the constructor standings, Red Bull is on top with 431 points to Ferrari's 334. That is, what, 97 points difference? Uh, Mercedes is in third with 304 points. Alpine's in fourth with 99. McLaren's got 95. That's a close battle there. Then we jump down to Alfa Romeo in sixth with 51. Gene Haas and team have 34. Alfa Tauri's got 27. Aston Martin has 20. And Williams has three. Shall we take it to some emails, Danny? Let's do it. Shift F1 podcast at gmail.com or f1.cool slash emails. I'm going to take this first one from Gregory. It's a little bit old, but uh, it, we've, we've had some more NASCAR races since. But I thought it would be a little bit of fun to check in on our good friend, Danny Kvyat. Uh, Gregory says, hey, guys, just got back from a weekend at Indianapolis. It was a good time, and it was definitely interesting to see two very different types of racing on one track. Open wheel still takes the top for me. However, I want to tell you a Sorry, however, what I want to tell you about is one Daniel Kvyat. NASCAR has no Russian ban, so he made his debut this weekend in NASCAR at Indianapolis. It went interestingly. First off, no one got his name right, uh, so that was very entertaining on the radio broadcast. He qualified towards the back, and then his car would not uh, fire at the start. Luckily, he got it going before the green and rode around feeling things out. 
he was about the mid-pack when he started to run slow. We never got an answer as to why, but he did almost a full lap in what seemed to be first gear. He pitted, lost a lap or two, and was on his way. The highlight came when he would miss the first turn and take the runoff, except he also missed the return road, and this is Indianapolis, which means past the return road is the oval. So after going through the oh oval, boy. turn four, a truck would, uh, with track workers catches up to him and try to point him in the right direction. <laughs> it then appears that he starts to argue with them. <laughs> by, the, <laughs> by the way, since he is well uh, on to the oval, this is all happening under green. A tow truck pulls up but never hooks up to the car and eventually he drives off to oval three down the back straight and rejoins in oval two which is turn 11 on the road course after that i lost track of him and he was scored as off in p36 behind cars that crashed quite the nascar start i give him credit he was the only one uh he was one of the only few not to slam it into other cars on restarts i think it's cool to see drivers try different disciplines so it was cool to see him try also from the f1 world alex rossi got his first win since 2019 in an accompany in IndyCar race so I say it was a good weekend thanks for the podcast guys it's a staple in my work week and for the love of God can we get Ferrari a strategist um maybe also <laughs> worth uh, thanks for that Gregory maybe also we're talking about Kimmy didn't he have his uh NASCAR debut this past weekend he did at Watkins Glen uh did anyone watch any of this no I did I saw like a YouTube clip but not nothing I haven't watched the whole race or anything I, I caught a bit of it um it was they they talked about Kimmy a lot actually I wonder if they I didn't watch the uh the Indianapolis round but I wonder if they talked about Kvyat um as much as they did Kimmy although you know Kimmy's a, an F1 champion so um <laughs> uh, I, I did think it was funny they said Something like, Nas- this is the most countries that have ever competed in NASCAR. Seven. <laughs> wow. And, and, you know, a lot of them are Canadian. This is, um, the guy who, this is the guy who accidentally almost killed that French dude. <laughs> in a, in a penultimate F1 race. Uh, yeah, so, um, I don't know. It, he, he, it, it was uh, rained out for a lot of it. Um, and so they were thinking that, like, oh, he, is he going to have an advantage? And I think, I didn't All see right. any yeah. uh, onboards, but um, it seemed like he gained, like, seven. He started in 27th and was up to 21st in the first lap. Wow. Uh, and this is this is on a, uh, a road course, so this is not an oval. Um, so uh, I think, I guess, I, I'm impressed by that. He tended to kind of like his tire strategy may not have been well uh um uh well uh, executed because he uh stayed on his wets for much longer when other people were on dries and so mm. he kind of vacillated between uh, i think he got up to like the top 10 at one point but then like dropped way back to 27th again um and then eventually on one of the restarts which i hadn't watched nascar in a while they do this thing where like they race uh, you know, a third of the race, and then they do like a, a mandatory yellow or something, just a bunch of everybody, everybody back up, and then they start again. Uh, Rob, you're shaking your Dude, head. Dude, this was me. Like NASCAR, like NASCAR's <laughs> kind of confusing now, which is weird because yeah, uh, yeah, you know, yeah. I think like me, you're like it's the it's the motorsport for the people, and. Right. They've got so many rules to like improve yeah. the competition and like make parts of it relevant. So like, you know, the setting playoffs. aside the playoff stuff, yeah. But like, yeah, I get lost watching their races because it's like now obviously you know it's. I think they get like points for partial race performance, and then there's like finishing like points. They waved a green and white checkered flag at the end of this first <laughs> yeah. round yeah. of 
laps. Yeah. The first 20 laps. He's like, oh, and then the, the winner of the first segment is this guy. And you're like, cool? <laughs> what does that mean? So, I mean, like, they are tackling the problem of, you know, classic NASCAR was like, we're doing a 500 miler. And what's going to matter is the last 30 laps. And yeah. the rest of it, like, there's no incentive to, like, not just sit, in, like, drafting in the pack. Like, why race until the end? Yeah. Like, just set yourself up. and these. So, like, I guess it's smart that they've instituted these roles to make, like, the entire running time relevant. But it does. It feels so weird. And the other thing is, like, IndyCar runs these oval races and they don't have to do this. Like, it, it's... That's right. that's another strange aspect of this. Maybe maybe it is because I don't know. Maybe IndyCar has more guys causing full course cautions in oval races <laughs> that like reshuffle race because like when when it goes away from you, it's just like you know NASCAR thing. You know it can kiss the wall a little bit. It can bump into mm. some other cars. Like it's it's rugged in that way. But I don't know. It's last couple times I tried to watch NASCAR, I was just like. I don't understand any of this because no, no other series I watch <laughs> behaves according to these roles. Yeah. Uh, he, unfortunately on one of the, one of the two, I think restarts, the forest restarts, uh, got clipped from behind and nosed into a wall. So he did not finish. You know what they uh, say? He seems cautions to hold his breed own. cautions. <laughs> <laughs> he seemed to hold his own. So, uh, I, I, I don't know that he's, signed up for every race thereafter uh, or if this was just kind of a one-off he seems there seems to be some kind of like team that acts as a feeder series uh, or a, a feeder team for international drivers wow it's uh, like a, it's like it's like when they take tourists to space kind of yeah <laughs> uh but he i think he did well so we'll see nice uh, is this Rob's email? Yeah. Yes, sorry, Rob. Yeah, if you can take this one from Alex. Yeah, Alex writes, Evening, gents. If this whole McLaren, Piastri, Ricardo, uh, sour triangle goes the way it seems it's going to go with Danny getting the big old screw, uh, what damage do you think that does to McLaren? Do you think they care more about their public image now that Drive to Survive is a thing and there's so many new fans? Sure, Danny isn't having a great season, but he's still a tremendously popular figure on the grid. Replacing a driver is fine, but how this is shaken out just leaves a bad taste, even if he retains a seat in the Vapaya car. Yeah, yeah what do you I, think? I, sorry, did you get something? No, no, sorry. I, I was just saying, yeah, I, I was interested in why you thought on this, Rob, because like I, I, some people might think that it's a screw job. Some people might think that it's come up or not, or it's time earned by Ricardo. What's, what's your kind of feel and the public perception of it? Yeah, I... People like Ricardo. Um, I don't like in terms of performance the last two years. I don't think him being moved along is necessarily like that out of bounds. That part is not hmm. that surprising that that McLaren's going to throw money at him to go away. Um, you know, is embarrassing, but I can see like why they would feel like they really want to make that change if there's supposedly this tremendous talent uh, in the offing. I think. There is the fact that there's all this weird drama around McLaren's signings in some ways that like Zach Brown seems to like making a lot of deals and likes keeping a lot of, like Pat O'Ward was joking about this where he's like, no, none of these guys are none of these IndyCar drivers, uh, Simon McLaren are going to race seat. What are you, are you kidding? Like, right. I think he even called out like, yeah, Zach, Zach talks a good game, but like I give you a test. 
Uh, but you know, anyone anyone thinking that that's a that's seriously being held out is is deluding themselves. Uh, it's it's not, and and I think you know, Pato saying that like smacks a bit of like sour grapes in part because mm. uh, he desperately did want that shot, and like McLaren ended up shutting it down pretty hard. Um, but I I do kind of feel like. They're getting reputation for just weird interactions with drivers and the driver market. Uh, and, and so I'm not necessarily sure it I'm not necessarily sure it uh, the, the Ricardo thing is what damages the reputation. But I do think that if drivers are regarding them as sort of an unreliable counterparty in negotiations. Right. I feel like that comes back on you a little bit. Um, I, I feel like you're going like, you know, you have Norris and, Pia- Nor- Norris and Piastri uh, at McLaren is, is how this is supposed to work out. Uh, if they both seem viable in that car and they both seem to be performing well, is there a chance that one of them might like look to make a move away from McLaren when they might not otherwise be inclined to do so in part because they don't just want to like lose this game of musical chairs. And so they will jump at opportunity with a team that does have a reputation for like following through on longer term driver commitments and such. I think that's where you see the Isn't the one to say like, Oh, but I won't cheat on you. (laughs) Yeah, baby. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's, I think that's where you incur the cost uh, is that, I think they're going to get the loyalty back uh, that they've shown, which means their car needs to get good. Like that car, like the, like, cause that's the other thing is Ricardo had a bad, like adapted poorly last year. It's not a good car this year. It does. Neither of these guys is tearing it up. Um, And so I'm like, I, I do wonder if they're not laying the ground, like they're doing a lot of sewing. Uh, I could see there being some some reaping uh, from the road. road. Mm. All right, well, shift F1 podcast at gmail.com if you'd like to send us an email, email or f1.cool slash emails if, if forums are more your thing. Uh, you could also hit us up on Twitter at shift F1 podcast. I'm at Drew Scanlon, that is at Danny O'Dwyer or at Rob Zachney, or as Danny mentioned, uh, the official shift F1 patron Discord channel is open for you as well. Uh, that's us around the internet. Should we take it around the world, Danny? Let's race around the way. Yeah. The world of racing kicks off this Friday with the NASCAR Xfinity Series uh, at the Daytona International Speedway in Daytona Beach, Florida for the Wawa 250. Oh, yes, baby. Tell me about Wawa. God, I miss Wawa. It's powered by Coca-Cola, don't you know? Take that sheets. Uh, <laughs> we've got uh, Formula Two and Formula Three supporting Formula One this weekend. How's that? We also have DTM. Oh, it's been so long. It's been weeks without my DTM. Yeah, yeah, it's a Nurburgring this weekend. <laughs> uh, we've also got the IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship. The GT Michelin Challenge is at VIR. That's the Virginia International Week Raceway. What makes it an international uh, raceway? It has cars that go to different countries. What's the? <laughs> the yeah, they like it fly is true. They, they're all kind of international. I don't fully. Maybe that's maybe it's a circuit grading thing. Yeah, could be. Yeah, they say the uh, distance in miles and kilometers. <laughs> We've got Super GT at Suzuka Circuit this weekend, located in Eno, Suzuka City. 
Mie Prefecture. Terrific. Japan. Japan. And finally, we got NASCAR. Also at Daytona. Daytona. For the Coke Zero Sugar 400. Mm. More of a Pepsi Zero Sugar myself. Or as it's known in Europe, Pepsi Max. No, no Wawa for me on the Coke. <laughs> Coke Zero, the most American drink. Uh, Formula One is also this weekend. Maybe you've heard of it. Friday, things kick off. Free practice one. Uh, that is uh, uh, August. Not, it's not October yet. It's August 26th. <laughs> 8 a.m. on ESPN U is Free Practice 1, followed by Free Practice 2 at 11 a.m. on ESPN 2. Saturday, August 27th, Free Practice 3 is at 7 a.m. These are Eastern times, by the way, uh, on ESPN 2, followed by qualifying at 10 a.m. Eastern time on ESPN 2. And the race, everyone, Sunday, August 28th at 9 a.m. Eastern on ESPN 2. The Deuce. And that's it. Final thoughts. Coming back in to racing, Danny. Danny? Danny is frozen, so I'll go to Rob. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think um, it's weird. There's only like the, the nine races left, and the season has kind of flown by. Um, I'm hoping we get a, a great spot. GP, I feel like we haven't in a couple years, probably because one, because the rain out, and uh, one just because it just didn't seem to be getting a lot of great uh, shows from the, from the old rules. So I'm hoping that we're going to get a, a classic one and that this, the circuit uh, sticks around because there is, there are already so many sport. There are already so many circuits where you just kind of have to grit your teeth. Um, you know, we're go- the, the Dutch GP is coming up and that circuit does just not seem well conceived for F1. Uh, so Hoping, hoping F, uh, Spa and circuits like it uh, can can hang around in F1 uh, for a long time to come. All right. Well, Danny just informed me that his PC has crashed, so I'm not even sure that <laughs> this episode will come out. But if it does, uh, we will, um, I guess, put Robo Danny in at the end. Uh, thank you, everyone, for listening. If you'd like to support the show and get access to all of our bonus episodes and the official Shift F1 Discord, you can do so at patreon.com slash Shift F1. Have a good race weekend, everyone. We will see you all next week. Meow.